Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Eyes of the Mize. My name is John. That's Ian. Hey, what's up? Today is November 6th, which is Election Day here in the United States. So hopefully, if you've listened to this, you've already voted. Weeks ago. And yeah. I voted uh, via absentee ballot in the mail because I'm military. So I took care of that forever ago. Yeah. But still, it's way too it's late now. <laughs> yeah, it's your civic duty. But anyways, uh, today is episode 103, uh, a GP Atlanta recap. Uh, because I was down at GP Atlanta and wanted to kind of just go ahead and talk about what we talked about last week and see what came out of it and what I saw at the GP and also kind of what happened at the GP at the top tables. Because spoiler alert, I wasn't at the top tables, but I had a great time. As always, go to GPs. GPs are great. Even yep. if you don't plan on playing the main event, like say you only have a standard deck and you don't have a modern deck and it's a modern GP. Well, there are standard side events you can go play. Or you can go mm-hmm. draft. Yep. Uh, we had a couple of people in our in our team who um, they went down, they just bought the limited fanatic package and they just they just grinded, you know, seals, two of the giant seals the entire weekend. Well yeah, that's an amazing thing too, is that with these GPs is the prize walls are great. So if your plan is to go into a weekend and just do nothing but play magic, there are ways you can maximize your value for it. I always tell myself, oh, I'm not playing the main event. I'll just go to grand side events. And I end up like doing like two th- side events during the entire weekend and just hanging out with other people the entire time. Yep. It is a lot of fun. It is. So just go to the GP that's near you. Uh, the next closest GP to me is GP Memphis up in February, uh, which is, which I've circled, circled against the square. There's a, there's uh, a possibility outside chance I could do GP New Jersey in like yeah. January. But that's that's down the road. That's for future Ian and John to worry about. You know, like what the holidays are going to look like or my schedule afterwards at work. Yeah. Holidays mess everything up. Uh, Before we get into the main event, also our main event, main topic. uh, Ian, you were on uh, Kitchen Table Magic not too long ago. And that episode is finally going to be posted soon. Yes, I recorded the episode. Golly, probably like a month or two ago. Hold on. I can actually tell you. Because I have the file here. It was properties. Uh, beginning middle September. September 19th, I think, is when I recorded it. So about a month and a half. month and a half ago. Uh, it's what Sam does with Kitchen Table Magic is he records a bunch of episodes. Kind of like gets them all, all the recordings ready to go. And then he edits them all through and sequentially releases them in like a season kind of format. This is the last season of it, actually, from what he was saying. But... My episode on chat moderation airs tomorrow <laughs> or the next day. It airs this week. Yeah. So go check it out. We'll be linking them in the show notes. <laughs> it was kind of funny. So Jerry, the reason why John said it's kind of timely is Jerry Thompson posted a three post uh, mini thread with thoughts on chat moderation and actually not even chat moderation, just with how wizards should probably just disable the chat. And I have thoughts and opinions on that. But go listen to Kitchen Table Magic. I cover a little bit of it in there. There's, yeah, it's, I might even actually have us do an episode again. Yeah. Like, I'm going to definitely re-listen to my own episode and take notes and kind of touch upon and expound upon some thoughts and opinions I have. Mainly because I, I, I tweeted this too. Um, in response to a couple of people, I'm in a weird gray area where I have actually had business conversations with people at which is the coast regarding chat moderation. And there are spots that they were like, okay, it's just been in this discussion between me and them. And I'm not going to, there's no like, oh, you're locked in NDA. I'm like, I have no NDA. I have no contract, but it's more of just, hey, we're in a working kind of relationship right now. I'm not going to go blab about a whole bunch of stuff yeah. outside of I've actually checked with them. I'm like, Hey, I can say this, this, and this on this podcast. Right. Okay, cool. I can cover these topics. All right, cool. I can't talk about this. All right. Yeah. I'm not going to really mention that, but it's all good. So I do know stuff. Unfortunately, I can't really discuss a whole lot of it, but yeah, I have thoughts and opinions, capital T, capital O trademark, whatever yeah, the usual. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, but 
Oh, yeah. Oh, and the Pro Tours this weekend, too, which is kind of yeah. funny that we're, like, not even doing a Pro Tour. <laughs> usually, standard looks usually, standard looks fun. Yeah, Draft we, we'll, is a lot of fun. Yeah, we usually save, like, the week before the Pro Tour to dive deep into the Pro Tour, especially because the Team Series is back, and there's a whole bunch of new teams that yeah. look really There's a great cool. article by Rich Hagen that was published today on uh, November 6th that we'll post in the show notes so you can go check it out. It breaks it down pretty well. Yeah, Rich Rich always does an amazing job with those uh, Pro Tour team breakdowns and even the Pro Tour lead up kind of – or yeah, the lead up to them. So exactly. this week we're just going to go recap the GP from last weekend because sure, that's what we – like yeah. in our hierarchy of episode stuff – our own episode recaps are usually – I know me personally, I like having our own personal recaps at the top yeah, of our, uh, at the top also of helps our hierarchy. Yeah. yeah, it also helps me like break down what, what happened in the tournament, figure out what was going on, see if there were any things that I could have done differently. But I yeah, like, this was a lot of fun. I like making meticulous notes on my life pads. That's why I love <laughs> having a life pad that actually has a notes space. Mm, yeah. Which is yeah. why, like, no offense, Channel Fireball, but moving to those really small – life pads from the big ones made me sad because your larger life pads were amazing yeah i need to get i need to get myself one of the fancier notepads but anyways um gp atlanta well, i already oh, mentioned wait, how wait, i was playing wait, wait, wait. We got, oh yeah we you got want... something else to do all right you open a m19 pack because you're a monster well look all right i, I found a random <laughs> m19 pack lying around my house i think it fell behind something i don't know it was just like oh i thought i had opened it but i hadn't apparently mm. i had gotten it as like an fnm prize pack or something like that a couple weeks a couple months or so ago whatever anywho but i have it so i didn't open it all the way i kind of like slid it in there so i just opened the rest of it so you still get a little bit of that nice audio thing but mm. yes this format is long gone however this pack was insane in terms of a limited evaluation and i wanted to share it with you people we got a swamp and a soldier token Hey. So first off, we have Take Vengeance. That's with the one in a white sorcery. Destroy, destroy target tap creature. It's pretty good. Yep. Um, Omen Speaker, one in a blue, one three. When it enters the battlefield, scry two. Yep. Rocks Oracle, four in a green, four two. When Rocks Oracle enters the battlefield, draw a card. Yeah. If you're in green, not bad to have one. Probably not first picking it, right? Probably not. You, you drafted a lot of this set, right? I've drafted like two times. I've drafted the format <laughs> twice. <laughs> So we got Gobble Motivator, Red, it's a, it's a red one, it, yeah, Pay Mountain, 1-1, one, one, Goblin Warrior. Uh, tap, target creature against Hasten on the turn. From what I understand, this card was pretty insane in the format. Yes. Being able to just plop a big dude down and power it out and give it haste, good. Yep. Uh, Greenwood Sentinel, 1 into green, 2-2 two, two with Vigilance. Simply better bear. Yep. Can't go wrong with that. Mind Rot, 2 and a black, Sorcery, target player discards 2 cards. The classic. Okay. Got naturalize one in a sure. green instant destroy target artifact or enchantment. Just your classic cyborg card. Yeah. And here's where it gets spicy. Angel of the Dawn four in a white three three creature angel flying. When Angel of the Dawn enters the battlefield, creatures you control get plus one plus one and gain vigilance until end of turn. This card's very good. That is a very good pick one if the rest of the pack is weak. However, we also have an electrify three hand of red instant electrify deals four damage to target creature. Removal is always good. Yeah, we have an, and now we're that's our commons. Okay, so now we got Arcane Encyclopedia at uncommon. That's the three mana artifact. Pay three, tap, draw a card. From what I heard towards the end of the format, this was actually pretty nice to have one. Yep, it's a better Jame Day tome. Yep. Uh, next up, Lightning Mare, red, red, three one elemental horse. This spell can't be countered. It can't be blocked by blue creatures. And pay one and a red. Lightning Mare gets plus one plus zero oh until end of turn. So it has fire breathing. I do love me a lightning mare, but mostly in constructed. Yeah. And our final uncommon is Gutter Snipe. Two in a red, two, two, goblin shaman. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, Gutter Snipe deals two damage to each opponent. That's pretty good. Now you might be counting at home and be like, wait a minute, you missed a common. That's right, because we have a foil. Cool. But the foils are rare. Sure. We also have a mythic. Oh boy. John, which one do you want to hear first? Uh, hit me with that foily goodness. Banefire. That's a good rare. Yeah. X in a red. Uh, for sorcery, Banefire deals X damage to any target. If X is five or more, this spell can't be countered and the damage can't be prevented. Yep. Seems and good. our mythic is good old girl Vivian Reed. 
Oh, honey. <laughs> Three green, green. Legendary Planeswalker Vivian with five loyalty. With a plus one, look at the top four cards of your library. You have a creature card or land card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Minus three, destroy target artifact, enchantment, or creature with flying. Minus eight, you get an emblem with creatures you control. Get plus two, plus two, have vigilance, trample, and indestructible. Pretty sure the pick is Vivian. Yeah, Vivian's pretty good. I mean, there's a lot of red in this pack. There is. That's good. So it's one of those you can almost like send this pack around. Odds are you probably won't get anything back because all the red in this pack is... You have Gobble Motivator, Electrify, Lightning Mare, Gutter Snipe, Banefire. You're probably not getting any red back from this pack. You if, could wheel the you could wheel the lightning mare. Lightning mare is not that. Insane, oh, okay, but but, uh, but but like the rest of the cards are all really good. Yeah. Outside of that, Angel of Dawn is probably going to get picked up. I mean, yeah. if you pick Vivian Reed, you'll probably get back Rock's Oracle, which is not a bad pick. And you've are, and you've positioned yourself really, really nicely into whatever it is you want to be doing. Yeah, but so that was just a random pack that happened to have like thirty five dollars worth of cards in it, like you do, I guess. I don't know. Hey. <laughs> but yeah, I just wanted. To- I'm like, it's also hashtag I can brag about six packs. It's partially sure. my podcast. I do what I want. That is fair. <laughs> anyway, anyways, GP Atlanta. Let's move John. on. Let's yeah, move on. That was that was my bit for this week. Okay, because yeah, John, John, take it away, man. Tell us about GP so, Atlanta. So, um, I knew I was going to play Storm for the longest time. Oh, um, and so it was really a decision of what my main deck was going to look like. And I talked about Caleb Sharer 75 previously, um, but basically his main technology recently and what he played at the GP was um, two remands, one of Substantiate instead of one of, of Unsubstantiate Remand and Noxious Revival, and then one Empty the Main, Empty the Warren's Main, and two Grape Shots Main with Ignite Memories and Dismember in his sideboard instead of Thing in the Ice. So after kind of figuring, noodling on a little bit and trying to figure it out, I I thought about running his main 75, but I felt like I hadn't had enough practice with that setup. And so what I did is I played Noxious Revival instead of the second remand, but I did keep the main deck empty the Warrens because I did feel like I was going to see a lot of humans um, or Bant Spirits. And those decks have can have good interaction against Grape Shot. And just having another way to end the game that's not Grape Shot is very helpful. Uh, and then I tried the Ignite Memories in my sideboard alongside Thing in the Ice. So my my sideboard was one Echoing Truth, three pieces of the puzzle, one Wipe Away, two Abraid, two Thing in the Ice, two Empty the Warrens, one Ignite Memories, and three copies of Lightning Bolt. Um, and so that was a uh, – and I made the decision consciously of not playing Remand – or not playing the Dismember, but did play Thing in the Ice because Thing in the Ice from the people who I've been talking to who were coming down from Nashville who were playing Bant Spirits said the Thing in the Ice is really good against Bant Spirits. And so I was like, okay, I will trust you on this. Well, I I can kind of see why. If you're able to flip it into its horror mode, Bant Spirits likes getting a lot of creatures on board. Plus, another thing is, too, if they've spell-colored something, you just get that back, like, right yeah. there on the spot. Yeah. Also, it's a 7-8, which is huge. Um, yeah, and they're, they're forced into chump mode at that point if they do start sticking Spirits back out. Yeah, yeah exactly. But anyways, um, so... That was my 75, uh, linked also in the show notes below for you to take a look at. And for round one, I got a feature match, uh, and I was playing against John A. I'm sorry, John, if you're listening. I forgot what your last name was because I didn't write it down, and uh, Planeswalker Points doesn't tell me what your name was for some reason. Uh, and John was on Grishol Brand. Usually it does, doesn't it? it? It doesn't have names for three of my opponents. Weird. And, you know I what? I agree. I will say this, because actually that makes – because I'm looking at MG Goldfish for the results, and one of them says unknown for the 17th place player. That's weird. Yeah. I'm like, what? How could you – Anyways. Anyway. So again, Um, sorry. Tell us again what your opponent was on, because I jumped in right as you were saying it. So John was on Grishol Brand, the Goryeo's Vengeance deck that just tries to cast Faithless Looting, discard discard Grizzle Brand, or Borborygmos Enrage into his graveyard, uh, attack – with a lot of power, usually drawing his entire library and casting the spell Nourishing Shoal, which is uh, XGG for a in- for a instant arcane from Champions of Kamigawa. Or was it from Saviors or Betrayers? I don't remember exactly. But it says um, you gain X life, but you may exile a green card from your hand instead of paying its mana cost. And then that the CMC of that card replaces the X. 
Um, so the idea of the deck is to cast Nourishing Shoal, exiling things like World Spine Worm to gain 11 life, or in a pinch, Borborygmos Enraged to gain 8 life, to continuously pay 7 off Borborig- off Grizzlebrand to draw more cards to find your win condition, and then put a Borborygmos in play, and then use his activated ability of discard a land, deal 3 damage to any target to kill you. Which is exactly what happened in game one. <laughs> in yeah. game one, uh, Grishel Brand, by the way, was decked it for a while. It was just so powerful. People were like, we need to ban this. It's like, it was like, let it shake out. And of course, it faded yeah. away. Yeah. Like they always It's do. a very powerful deck. He killed me on turn three. He didn't quite have the turn two kill, it looked like. But on turn three, I was just dead. It wasn't even close to being close. I had a, I had a bear. I had, uh, like two lanes in play. One of them was tapped. I had one mana up and there was nothing I could do. I was just dead. So game two, uh, I sideboard in a lot of my interaction and some of my graveyard hate. So I sided in Echoing Truth, I sided in Wipe Away, uh, sided in Abrades just in case for things like Dampening Sphere or whatever. Um, and I believe that – I don't remember if I sided in Thing in the Ice or not, but I think I did. And then game two, he starts off a, on a little bit slower game plan and I don't have as quite fast of a start. Um, and then he pl- taps out. He On his turn three, he goes land. Exile Simeon Spirit Guide, Chalice of the Void on two. Now, Chalice of the Void is XX artifact that says it enters the battlefield with X charge counters, and whenever a spell of that CMC is cast, counter it. Now, I could have tried to bend the, bend the guy who casts it, who casts my two CMC spells into Thing in the Ice, or not into Thing in the Ice, but into Chalice, and see if he if I could get the Chalice check to see if he remembers his Chalice triggers. But I wasn't going to be that guy to my opponent. Now hey, just cast off into cast off into a chalice. I I won't lie. I've done that before. Yeah. The reason um, I will say this: I was on infect. The reason why I cast stuff into a chalice is because I was setting up for delve. Yes, which is a very <laughs> very viable thing to do. I was like, cast this. He's like, nah, it gets countered. I'm like, okay, cool. Cast this, gets countered. All right, cool. You go. Uh, yeah. Untap. How many cards you tapped out? All right, cool. Uh, become a mentor, dead. Yeah. I will say that on. That I had a Baral in play already, so my other bears were not getting cast, which was fine. But I, and I had a Pass in Flames in hand, and I had a Gifts in Given in hand. And so I was like, well, I can't Echoing Truth it. I can't abrade it. My only out is Wipe Away, which is one blue, blue, instant with split second, return target permanent to its owner's hand. Yes. So it can't be countered, can't be responded to in any way, and it would get the Chalice up and back into his hand. And so what I do is I set up a turn where I go Gifts Ungiven, and I knew I was going to get Wipe Away, and I knew he was going to put it in my graveyard. And then my debate was, what do I get alongside the wipe away? And I, and I had a pass in flames in hand. So my line was going to be eventually get enough mana to pass in flames and echoing truth and then, or, and wipe away and then combo off. And I, I picked out four spells and I was looking at them and I'm like, you know what? This isn't going to work. Put it all back in. So then my piles, my four cards were wipe away, shivan reef, island, snow covered island. <laughs> because I know what you're putting in my graveyard because you're not putting it in my hand. If you put it in my hand, I win the game. So John smartly puts wipe away into the graveyard as well as Shivan Reef and gives me two islands. And I'm like, perfect. So then I, so then a couple turns more pass. I basically play lands, cast cantrips, say go. Um, and he gets up to four mana and he's just kind of like, go. And then I have enough mana to go pass in flames for three, wipe away for two, then cast a ritual, proceed to combo off and kill him. Nice. Uh, and then he said, and I had you dead the next turn too. And I'm like, oh, so you had Through the Breach in hand. Good to know. <laughs> ah, thanks for the knowledge. Which, which, Through the Breach, which I figured that they would, they would have Through the Breach for Graveyard Hate. It's four and a red for an instant arcane. It has Splice for arcane on, for two red red, which is usually never used on this spell. Can be, though, because of things like uh, Nourishing Shoal being an arcane instant. Uh, that says, put a creature card from your hand into play. It gains haste. Uh, sacrifice at the beginning of the next end step. So, I, I won't lie. This splice stuff always kind of had me like, all right, how does it work? So you, you would cast Nourishing Shoal, right, for its yes. alternate cost. And then yes. you can splice onto the Nourishing Shoal, paying for the other, through the breach. Paying the splice cost, yes. And then through the breach, it goes back to your hand. Uh, No, yeah, the, the through the breach would go back to your hand. That, yeah, no, the that's through the breach saying. is still through, in through, your hand yeah. the entire time. But you kind of have to like reveal like, hey, I'm splicing through the breach onto this. Correct. It's also great for Gorio's Vengeance because Gorio's Vengeance also has splice. And it's a way to cast your Gorio's Vengeance Without set, putting up Gregorio's Vengeance for counter magic. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, Especially if it's like, and also you got to hit this too. Nice try. Yeah. And also with Nourishing Shoal, because you can cast it for free, it gives you another extra out for that. Storm count up. <laughs> Basically, yeah. <laughs> um, 
Then in game three, I don't remember too much of it, but I remember it was kind of really a back and forth of trying to figure out exactly what was going to take precedence. Um, and eventually it just got to the point where I was storming off. And in the previous game, he had actually cast a nourishing shoal that made me up, need to up my storm count, which I was able to do pretty handily. Um, and so in this time I got my storm count up to 22, attempted to grape shot him from 16. He attempted to cast a nourishing shoal, which I remanded. He had no other green cards in his hand. That was the game. Um, and so game one, round one on the board for Storm versus Grishelbrand. And John was really great. We kind of commiserated after the match. Um, his deck was on the on the way to getting pimped out, uh, whereas mine is all foil. He's like, you know, your deck's really pretty. I go, thank you, man. Um, and we talked a little bit about the podcast. So if you're listening, John, hats off to you. Um, and yeah, that was a, it was a fun match. It was very kind of skill, skill testing and fig- trying to figure out the right lines. Um, it was really fun. Hmm. Round two against Brandon Gill. On Just Guy Control. Um, Just Guy Control is a notoriously bad matchup, and it's worse for Storm than Blue-White for a couple reasons. The main one is that Just Guy can A, end the game quicker, off of things like Bolt, Snap, Bolt. But also, Blue-White only has Path to Exile to remove our creatures, whereas Just Guy has Bolt, Helix, and Path, meaning that our creatures very rarely stay alive. Um, and then trying to win through the graveyard hate of being like of them not just having like rest in peace, um, but still also probably keeping in their removal or having access to um, Counterflux, which is blue-blue-red instant from uh, Return to Ravnica, which can't be countered. Uh, counter each counter in a target instant sorcery you don't control with Overload. Counter each instant or, or each spell you don't control. It's a very powerful sideboard card specifically for Storm. I never saw it. I don't know if he had it, but the matchup in general is just very, very difficult. Yeah. So game one... Uh, I tried to stick my creatures. One got pathed, one got bolted, another got pathed. And eventually I set up a situation where I was able to go on my upkeep, Noxious Revival, Brawl to my top of my life, or I was able to Noxious Revival, a spell, or a Brawl later to try to recast, and, he get, and then he died or whatever. And then without any creatures in play, I managed to storm off a little bit, get up to about a 10 storm count, cast Noxious Revival to put Brawl on top of my library, cast a Manamorphose to draw, then play Brawl, and then I still had – I had a Grape Shot in hand, but I still had some other rituals in my graveyard that I could cast. And then Brandon conceded, kind of – he saw the writing on the wall. It's like, okay, cool. Then game two and game three were both kind of what happens when Jeskai Control beats Storm. They never allowed me to stick a threat. They never allowed me to really do much. Uh, he landed the rest in peace in both games. In game three, it was the most backbreaking rest in peace because he was able to land it with a huge graveyard with my only past and flames in it because – you side out one past in flames in against the graveyard expectant decks, and it was just it was just not it was just it just wasn't there for me. So I lose to Jessica Control uh, one and two. Yeah, just kind of again what I expected to happen in that matchup. But- oh, that and trust me, that's the same kind of story for me on Infect. Is if I can just slip in quickly and destroy them with enough protection and counter backup to let my creature survive, I'm great. If they go anywhere past like turn six. Return seven, I'm done. I just cannot yeah. win. Like, I literally yeah. have to bleed them out of cards and then hope to God that I can just top deck, like, a become immense on one of my remaining, like, Ink Moth Nexus if it survives the uh, onslaught of land destruction. Yeah. Uh, round three. Uh, this is, again, one of my nameless opponents. I uh, played against Pelt Collector Zoo. Uh, Pelt Collector Zoo being the zoo decks built around the new card Pelt Collector. Uh, which is a green 1-1 one, one that says whenever a creature you control enters the battlefield or dies with more power than Pelt Collector, put a plus one plus one counter on it. And if Pelt Collector has three or more three or more counters on it, it gets uh, trample. I'm, I'm, so, I'm surprised Pelt Collector is actually seeing some play. It's pretty nice. Yeah. I, mean, I know people are going to try um, him, but... Yeah, it, it's very powerful, especially with Vexing Devil. Because if you have a Pelt Collector on two and you, they play Vexing Devil, it's going to tick up because it's a 4-3. And then if your opponent pays for life, your Pell Collector will then become a 4-4. Oh, dang. Yeah, it's real good. Uh, I never saw the Vexing Devil. Uh, I did see Goblin Guide. I saw um, Tarmogoyf. So he had the right – he had the the usual suspects. He had a, like a Bloodbraid Elf as well at one point. Yeah. Um, and so in game one, he accidentally presented his deck with his sideboard shuffled in. So had to call a judge for that. But it was an easy fix. He just had to mulligan to six and it was – an easily solved problem. So wait, wait, he just presented um, like a whole 75 or? Yeah, and he, did, he didn't realize until after he drew his opening seven. Uh, wait, the whole 75? Yes, he accidentally shuffled his sideboard into his main deck. Huh. Yep. Weird. 
Yep. Yeah, happens. But yeah, it, it does happen. I, I, yeah, all right. Yeah, it is, just, it is what it it's is. It's just a force mulligan, like D sideboard force mulligan. Exactly. Um, and both games played out basically the same way. Uh, my opponent would establish, would play early aggressive creatures like goblin guides, uh, knock me down to a low life total. In game one, I was at two life when I combo killed him. And in game, in game two, I believe I was at like eight or six and then comboed off and killed him. Nice. Uh, that's basically what these zoo matchups or burn style matchups are going to look like. It's going to be try to, trying to land a creature, storming off, trying to get there, and just either get there or not. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. Round four, I played against David Festin, who was on Bant Spirits. And Bant is a rough matchup in general because they have things like Spell Queller, Mausoleum Wanderer, Path to Exile. They have a lot of just upfront ways of interacting that also just advances their game plan. And they're a proactive, they're they're a proactive interactive deck kind of thing. Exactly. Plus, because they have white in their in their color identity, they can play things like Rest in Peace, Stony Silence, the usual suspects Thalia. to yeah Thalia to really make it awkward for Storm. So game one, I went on turn three because uh, my opponent had two Mausoleum Wanderers in play and decided never to sacrifice them to tax my mana. And I was able to, you know, go ritual, ritual, gifts ungiven, get a bunch of stuff, kill you. Pretty straightforward storm win. Uh, game two, uh, that game ended when my opponent cast a turn three Eidolon of Rhetoric. Oh, no. Which, if you remember from last week, was a card I mentioned that no one is playing. Eidolon of Rhetoric, as an example, is a two and a white enchantment creature spirit from Journey into Nyx, which reads, players may only cast one spell each turn. Yeah, I've, I've intentionally targeted removal at that so i could combo off with infect before when i've yeah when it's like stick on a red i'm like ah you need to die now yeah um game three i managed to win because my opponent landed a turn two rest in peace and i was able to on my turn i was able to echoing truth it and then combo off in that same turn and kill him and sometimes that because sometimes that's modern you know you play your you play your hate piece and then the opponent, the combo opponent, finds their answer to your hate piece and kills you. And he didn't seem very distraught about it either. He was pretty, he was pretty jovial the entire time. Hats off to David. Uh, also, David was like, and I was like, I brought in my abrades because I expected dampening sphere. And he goes, I know. That's why I don't play dampening sphere. And I play Eidolon of rhetoric. And I'm like, you, you cheeky son of a gun. Yep. Uh, round five played against mono green Tron. Uh, Tron is a matchup that can sometimes be like a buy like it is for infect because tron very rarely has meaningful interaction in game one and then game two is just getting through whatever the sideboard cards are well in game one so i was on the play and i cantripped on turn one and my i said go to my opponent and he goes tron peace relic and i go well that makes things awkward because tron's going to main deck their relic of progenitus anyways and after seeing my turn one he correctly put me on storm uh, and I kind of tried to play it, play it off as, yeah, you never know. I could be anything. Um, but I looked at my hand. I'm like, I can't beat a relic right now. But I did have three rituals and empty the warrens. So I go, and after tanking for probably what was like a minute or two, I go, all right, might as well land ritual, 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 uh, empty the warrens for eight, go. <laughs> and, and then I killed him. Turn eight goblins sideways. Exactly. So, um, that is an area where that, that that is one of the times where main deck empty the warrens was actually legitimately good, even though it's not for this matchup, but because he played the turn one relic, it opened me up to be able to have this line. Yeah, and, that I wouldn't have had otherwise. Yeah, and that's the thing. Got to take in mind with a lot of these is you might have like that narrow card, like for instance, empty the warrens. It's in there not because of that matchup, but hey, it turns out. You might just edge out a win if you are able to recognize a situation where, look, my usual line of play isn't going to work. Got to be, you know, unconventional. Let's just run this out and see what happens. And yeah. like the thing with Tron is that actually seems like a really good idea because at most Tron is going to be able to stick one large threat a turn. Like if they if they stuck a, uh, oh, what's it called? Worm coil engine. You're kind of hosed. Yeah. But, but like I did this on turn two and it's like, well, yeah, but they would have to produce Tron the next turn, and then stick a Worm Coil. No, actually, engine. if I if I remember correctly, my opponent was down to th- was down to like two or something, and I managed to, and they played a Worm Coil, but I was able to attack through the Worm Coil and kill them. If I remember correctly, yeah, and that's the thing where it's like 
you have to be aware of like that life gain on there, which yeah, it'll happen. But in the meantime, if they don't stick that, you can just turn things sideways. Exactly. Uh, game two was not very interesting. It was just a traditional Tron win. They assembled a quick Tron, carned away my lands. Not really anything to talk about there. I did see Thought Not Seer in that game, which did help me kind of figure out what I wanted to do game three. Because game three was crazy. Game three, I went through every, almost every copy of Empty the Warrens, almost every copy of Grape Shot that I had in my deck, um, which eventually got surgical, the turn that I ended up winning. Um, I brought in my thing in the Ices. One of them got um, dismembered. Uh, and then I flipped the other one to, which was great because what my opponent had done is they were at three life. They landed a worm coil, attacked several times. And then I, they, I had a, I had my empty the, I had my, um, thing in the ice with two counters. They attack with their, uh, worm coil. I abrade the worm coil dealing or destroying target artifact. Then on my turn, cast a cantrip, flip it, bounce their tokens, attack for seven. Wow. But the game ended with me having three cards in my library after basically churning through my entire deck at, and getting my grape surgical and casting an empty the warrants for 20 goblins and said go. And he had a couple of chances to try to find a, a way to win the game or to to remove all my tokens because the only other cards in my library were a land, another copy of empty the warrants, and I think it was like a cantrip. <laughs> and I got there and it was great. Oh man, those those gr- yeah. those like. Knockdown drag out wins like that one where it's like I've done everything I can. Why are you not dead? Okay, finally got there. Those yeah. kind of wins are just so satisfying. Yeah, and can also be like hyper demoralizing too. Yeah, and the O Stone was the next card down on this deck. Oh my god, you <laughs> lucky. Yeah, but anyways, um, the next round was round six. I played against John Davis in the John Mirror match again, and he was playing humans. Uh, and humans, I like to think, is a 45-55 matchup in favor of humans. I was going to ask you what how you felt about that, because it doesn't seem like it's going to be a great one for you. It's it's not a great matchup, because, again, they have things like Thalia main deck, they have things like uh, Kaiself Rebooter main deck, they have things like Meddling Mage main deck, and those are hard cards to beat, but we have ways of beating them. But, game one, my opponent went Thalia into Freebooter into Freebooter, and then I never recovered. That's, that's backbreaking. Yeah. And then in game two, my opponent curved, went turn one, Noble Hierarch, missed a land drop into Freebooter, made a land drop into Sin Collector, into Freebooter. It wasn't close to being close. Who knew that Kitesail Freebooter, like, it, it still blows my mind to this day that, like, yeah, it was one or two more land. Like, we got, like, the one land from it. Uh, unclaimed territory. Know, unclaimed territory. But it was really Kitesail Freebooter that made everyone go, wait a minute, we should just play this deck now. Yeah, like Kitesail I mean, Freebooter. Unclaimed, Unclaimed Territory does more for the deck than Freebooter because the deck I played against at the PPTQ that I won was not playing Freebooter. Yeah. And there are some humans' decks that aren't playing the black spells. Like, they're not playing Freebooter, they're not playing Sin Collector. They're eschewing some of that power to make their mana a little bit more consistent. I will say this, though. The mana base in the five-color humans' decks is fragile as heck. It is. Uh, like, uh, my friend Doug, he was playing... Uh, through the breach blood moon and for him humans is like a buy because he has main deck blood moons so he just goes blood moon you and then they can't cast their spells yeah because so remember they have like ancient ziggurat which can only be man can only be spent to play creature spells unclaimed territory which you name the creature type and that gives you colored mana for that creature type cavern of souls where you only get colored mana by naming the creature type mm-hmm and then you're looking at Horizon Canopy, Sea Chrome Coast, Islands, and Plains. Yep. It's like, yeah, you're not casting those Mantis Riders. Well, you can't cast the Mantis Riders, but... Uh, you can cast Mantis Rider off of Horizon Canopy, uh, oh, no, no, no. Noble Hierarch, no, 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 and a land. Well, no, I'm saying, like, if they Blood Moon, you have Island Plains. Yeah, yeah, there's no way to another cast land. If, you're, if your opponent brings except in their Cumball, which they have in some sideboards... Yes, Cumball... Oh, that guy. That guy. <laughs> there's that a guy reason I met. There's a fire. reason I mentioned that because that is just the bane of your existence. That guy can die in a fire. <laughs> My God! You basically have to. Sh- you have to basically point your first two. He he acts. He acts like a rest in peace. He acts like a dampening sphere because I can't. I can't take damage from my spells. It's not not what's good for me. You have to basically point your first two grape shots at him to kill him, right? 
Well, in sideboard, we have we'll bring in bolts and abrades. That's true, especially against humans. Because he, that's because he's, he's a, that is exactly what it's for. Yes. By the way, Cumball, if you don't remember, is the one white and a black two three from oh my god Kaladesh. Yeah, Kaladesh. Wow. Um, legendary human creature advisor. Whenever an opponent casts a non-creature spell, that player loses two life, and, and you gain two life. Hey, John. Yeah. Uh, storm instances count as casting a spell, correct? Storm instances don't. Okay, but you got to storm up uh, to kill. I lethal. have to cast like ten <laughs> spells in order to get to lethal. <laughs> so he has to die. Yeah, every time. It's not close to being close. But so now I'm four and two, and I need to win out to make day two. Um, what was it? Eight rounds and, day one. Uh, six and two makes day one. Yeah, okay. And there's only eight rounds on day one. So, so I was on my back was against the wall. So round seven, I go up against Wit Lucas, and Wit was great. He was an awesome opponent. Um, he had a really great, uh, really great um, personality, really great attitude, uh, and he was on Golgari midrange. The Rock, which the Rock, which is a rough matchup in general because again, disruption in a clock is what beats Storm, and. Having main deck cards like Scavenging News also is what beats Storm. So, we'll, we'll, real quick aside, we we talked about the story of the Rock and his men, and his millions, and where the name got the deck god's name, Sol Malco, who actually was like in contention late in day two to make yeah. the top eight with the Rock. Yes, I was. It was just great seeing him at the top table. Like they were saying, it was like. 15 plus years after like 20 some years after making the deck's name and it's just like okay that's kind of fun yeah um and so in, in game one my opponent had a very very slow start they didn't have any disruption they were they were able to land like a turn three scavenging ooze but they had no green mana available to them i had already played a creature and then i'm like okay you're dead kill you so game two um was one of those matches where Thoughtseize, inquisition uh just Hit, hit all the right points, hit, landed the Liliana. Game wasn't close to being close. Then in game three was a lot rougher for me because I was trying to set up and he had the right hand attack spells. And then he goes, Dampening Sphere. And I go, okay, I can beat one Dampening Sphere. I just have to find the right card. And the next one he goes, Dampening Sphere number two. And I'm just like, oh no. Because that, back to back Dampening Spheres is what's really going to hurt because if it's a, normally Dampening Sphere just increases your spell's cost by one. That puts a double man attacks on it, right? It does. So like, I could cast an opt for one mana, and then my next opt would cost three mana. Yeah. It was not it was not good. I never found the right answers. I never found my braid, never found an echoing truth. And that was that was my tournament. Uh went four and three and dropped after that so that I could do some side events and uh, just kind of de-stress from it. Um Overperformer was Mandic Empty the Warrants. That card was very good and opened up lines that I didn't have normally. And it was just very, very good to have. Like, there were de- definitely times where I had to, I stormed off with Empty the Warrens and managed to stay alive a couple extra turns, even though I wasn't able to win from there. Um, underperformer, however, was Ignite Memories. Because uh, I didn't mention this before, but I, I brought it in against Tron. And in, the, and in the game three I won, I cast it. My opponent had four cards in hand. They were all lands. Ugh. So I spent like four or five mana. And a storm count of five to deal zero damage. Yeah, that's a uh, hoof. I brought it in against uh, Wit um, on Golgari, and it dealt like seven damage. It was not, an, and it was enough to get there. Uh, I played it again in one of the Turbo Towns, where um, they have basically you buy, a, you spend five bucks to get a ticket. Uh, loser gets ten tickets of the match. Winner gets thirty tickets, and you can do it again or again or again, however many times you want. Yeah. Uh, and my opponent had. Uh, three one mana sp- or four one mana spells. Then they had a Karn and a um, and I think they had a uh, Thought Not Seer in hand, or what? What about one of those? I don't remember. But and it was just like one of those things where it's just like it. I don't know how Caleb does it with this card. It's I understand the logic of why it's in there, but it just felt so bad every time. Yeah, it's definitely a case of just sometimes people will play a, si- a card that you probably just would not want to play. Yeah. And I, I'm looking forward to seeing whenever Caleb updates his blog, because he said he tweeted tonight that he was going to update his blog with the updated list as well as his updated sideboard guide, because I want to figure out his logic behind it, because every every experience that I've had with the Night Memories has been terrible, has been just awful. So I'm interested to see what it is um, that makes it more worthwhile. 
And I understand why it's in the deck, but I'm questioning if it's even necessary. Yeah, it's... Yeah, you just you really got to do self-evaluation. I mean, for in the future, if it's for some reason, oh, this is a good card, and you're like, I just, you know, yeah, sure, I, I, I'll take your word at it, but my, my, my personal experience is bad. Just if that's the case, go, don't play it. There's other sideboard cards you can play there. Now I've got a month until the RPTQ, so I've got a little bit more time to figure out whether or not Ignite Memories is worthwhile. Just, just fire, um, fire mines insight. There you go. Fire mines research. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Just, just, just take uh, that one out. Put the other one in. There you go. <laughs> done we'll e- figure it out easy peas easy peas lemon squeezy anyways um but now that leads us into the top eight and top 32 discussion because you know how correctly did last week's discussion of the metagame play out and well the nine to 32 deck lists are as follows in order from nine to 32 hardened scales dredge burn bant spirits fairies by the way <laughs> Uh, Storm in the hands of Caleb Scherer, who went 10 and 0, and then ended the day, I believe, at uh, 11, at either 12 and 3 or 11 and 4. Sadly, the wheels came off, yeah. Yeah. Uh, humans, Green Red Valakit, Marty Pyromancer, Blue Red Ascension at the hands of um, Marco Tobi- or, Mark, uh, Tobias, no, Mark, Tobias. Mark Tobias. Yeah, Mark, Mark Tobias, which was a very spicy deck. Uh, Bant Spirits, Bant Spirits, Tron, Bant Spirits, Hardened Scales, Green Red Valakit, Storm. Uh, this was Oliver Tomiko's version. Uh, Devoted Evolution, which is a Devoted Druid Eldritch Evolution deck. Uh, is it Phoenix, Hardened Scales, Dredge, Titan Breach, KCI, and Dredge? Uh, and then the top eight decks were two KCI decks, one Bant Spirits deck, one Infect deck, one Tron deck, one Hardened Scales deck, one Bridgevine deck, and one Hollow One deck in the hands of Martin Yuza, who went 14-0, and losing his last round of the Swiss, and not quite claiming the tr- not, not quite claiming the total prize here. Um, lost, he lost the last round of the Swiss and the first round of the top eight. So yeah, and then the winner was Bant Spirits, um, and because Bant Spirits in the finals played KCI, and that matchup seems laughably easy for Bant. Yeah, it so much interaction that can basically handle like, literally everything they're trying to. So do. I didn't watch the finals because I was in the car ride home, but I heard that the in fi- game two of the finals with Bant Spirits up a game. Bant Spirits did this: turn one noble hierarch. Turn two, Geist of St. Traft. Turn three, attack with Geist of St. Traft. Play Selfless Spirit, then play Rest in Peace. Then turn three, or turn four, play Knight of Autumn. Blow up your your random artifact. Phantasmal Image on Knight of Autumn. Blow up your other artifact and attack. Dang. <laughs> that is hateful. Yes, it is. You would be correct. So, Bant Spirits won, and again, what I felt like is probably a laughably easy matchup for them. Yeah, and that's something, um, too, where basically all of their payload cards are spell quellable. Yeah. Except for Spine of yeah. Ishtar, which is spicy. Oh, that was a really spicy one of in one of the decks. That was It cool. was in the second place deck. Yeah, that, ooh, so, that card is so, so spicy. So, Spine of Ishtar, by the way, is a seven-mana artifact uh, from, was it New Phyrexia? I believe so. Yeah, it's New, from New Phyrexia. Yeah, it's got the Phyrexian uh, watermark. When Spine of Isha enters the battlefield, destroy target permanent. When Spine of Isha is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, return Spine of Isha to its owner's hand. So it basically costs five mana in KCI, and you can make infinite mana in KCI, so you just blow up your opponent's entire board if you can't kill them. Yep. I've seen people who, uh, what was it, Dylan Hand that took a screenshot of a perfect game, a perfect win. Basically, he had Spine of Isha away his opponent's entire, Tron opponent's entire board. Yep. Looped it and popped them off. Yep. But in general, we were pretty pretty accurate, I want to say, in figuring and kind of guessing what was going to be at the top tables. Although Bant Spirits is definitely the deck du jour uh, of the top 32 because there's, what, one, two, three, four, five, five of the co- five copies of the top 32? Yeah, Bant Spirits is definitely solidifying its place as a tier one deck. And yeah. rightfully so. I mean, the deck is good. Yeah. there Apparently, there have been talks of, like, Trying to get something to ban from Bant Spirits. Oh my god! And it's just like there's nothing to ban. No, it's literally like the only card. The only card you could ban from Bant Spirits would be Cavern of Souls. But even then, you kill every other tribal deck in Modern. Yeah, like to be fair. All right, let's look at this. Collected Company not played nearly enough to worry about. Aether Vial, eh, you'll hit some decks, but you're not worried about that too much. And then every spirits and humans and Merfolk could survive Ether Vile ban. It would hurt, but they could survive. Yeah. Other than that, oh, also 
the very rarely played Death and Taxes decks will play a Thervile yeah. too. But there's well, nothing. I'm looking at this deck list, and there's nothing that's like overpoweringly like, oh my god, we got to get rid of it. It's like like you could arguably ban Noble Hierarch, but like that kills a lot of other decks too. Like you're looking yeah. at massive splash damage if you get rid of Noble Hierarch. Like Spell Queller, Spell Queller is not worthy of a ban. No, like and everything else is just Lords Droxkull Captain yeah. Supreme Phantom. Rattle chain. Like, I could see an argument. Image, maybe an argument. Phantasmal image just is value. Yeah, I, I could see an argument for banning uh, Drogsoul Captain. Eh. It's very bad, but I could see an argument for it. All right, so those kids at home. Drogsoul Captain is an uncommon from Dark Ascension. Uh, Dark Ascension. Yeah, Dark Ascension. One blue and a white, two two spirit soldier with flying. Other spirit creatures you control get plus one plus one and have hexproof. So you need. Two Drogskull Captains in order to make sure everything has Hexproof. Or Drogskull Captain Phantasm. Well, that's technically two Drogskull Captains at that point. Shh. <laughs> but anyway. Anyways. It's a case of it's not a backbreaking card. Yeah. It doesn't even give itself plus one, plus one, or Hexproof. Other creatures get it. So, yeah. It's, yeah, there's really nothing. That right there, when you say, bro, people ban stuff out of ban spirits, I'm like, get, get out of here stop yeah there's there's just, there, just there isn't a card that you could ban in it that wouldn't hit splash damage of like a million other decks like let's like, like let's this, put, isn't, this isn't the eldrazi problem where banning of ivugan hurt tron no tron actually because, honestly tron got better because they had to actually narrow down their attack vector yeah like it actually it like, actually helped tron in the long run because back then it was red green tron and they'd had like weird they were running uh what's it called Oh gosh, what's the land? Grove of the Burn Willows. They're running that. Yeah. Like, there's no need to run that anymore. Like, they just. Yeah. They have. Well, also, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. Also, Field of Ruin really put a. Oh, yeah. That did put a beating on trying to play more than one color for Tron. Plus, yeah. it lets them play like seven or so, whatever, Forest, which is fine. But, I mean, to be yeah. fair, in the talk when Infect was super popular, the one of like, hey, we need to get rid of Become Immense. Like, that holds more water than trying to ban something out of ban spirits. Oh, if I was going to ban something out of Infect, I would ban Glistener Elf. I mean, you get rid of the turn two win. That's fair. Like, I, Granted, I'm not banning anything out of Infect, but if I wanted to ban Infect out of- if I wanted to nuke Infect from Orbit, I'd ban Glistener Elf. Because it just gets rid of the turn two? Yeah. That's fair. Now now your only win conditions are Ink Moth Nexus and Blighted Agent. Well, let me just go green-black. Yeah. And you got Plague Steiner? Uh, Phyrexian Champion? Yeah, sure. But you still don't have Glistener Elf. That's true. Which is kind of the big boon there. I mean, to be um, fair, at that point, why even play green? Because yeah. you're playing Noble Hierarch. Then you got the green-black destroy spells and the green pump yeah. spells. I mean, you're soul tight at that point. Yeah. But it, it, regardless of the regardless of that fact, like, I was actually kind of thinking about, like, if I wanted to nuke a specific deck and wanted to ban a card from it to really neuter the archetype, what would I ban? And I might we might turn that into a topic later. Dude, we should. I like that idea. Quick to the um, notes, yeah. To the notes, <laughs> how to um, how to nuke a deck from the format, yeah. But again, it's all you know contextual, figuring out what's good, what's bad, and all what that what, what stuff, the linchpin of the deck is. Basically, is I'm I'm exactly. I'm really down with that. Like that actually sounds fun. Like, hey, let's yeah. dig into what that might be like a project to work on for a couple of weeks. Yeah, oh, I think so too. Yeah, we need to talk about next week too. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about we'll talk about next week at some point. <laughs> well, I'm saying because um, desert bus. <laughs> Yes, Desert Bus. <laughs> um, we may take we just we can just take next week off for Desert Bus. Yeah. Well, I'm saying we'll get to that. We'll get to that later. Um, only other thing, GP Atlanta was great. Everybody was great. Tournament was great. Jeep, GPs are stuff. great. GPs are great. So there was a thing that happened over the weekend where people got sent these little letters for, for trying to order um, master for trying to order the uh, Mythic Edition Guilds of Ravnica box, which had the full art Planeswalker cards. Yeah, and so they got these things called Ultimate Box Toppers, which had, like, extended art promos of various cards with the code UMA at the bottom, which we now know stands for Ultimate Masters, which appears to be the send-off for Master Sets for the moment. Um, Wizards has not closed the door on making more Master Sets in the future. It's just the Master Sets as we know them. Yeah. Um, And the cards, so the Ultimate Box Toppers are every Mythic from the set, a selection of rares from the set, and two uncommons. Uh, the uncommons being Kitchen Finks and Eternal Witness. Some of them have new art, some of them have extent old art, but or extended art, but they're all like extended, full bleed, all that fun stuff. Um, 
Ultimate Masters, the MSRP for a box is $335. Ouch. Which is a lot. It's a big ask. It It is a lot. It's hard. If this product sells well, which it probably will because there are crazy people out there. Hi. Um, Hit me. It is basically, this is not a product for Joe Blow Magic Player. You do, you do not have to feel bad if you cannot buy a box of, of, of Ultimate Masters. Unless you can find some screaming deals out there, and there have been a few that have popped up here and there, and they've sold out pretty quick. Heck, you don't even need to, like, you know, you don't need to worry about buying packs of this. Yeah. If you don't want to buy packs of this, that's fine. Just buy singles or draft on Magic Online where packs are $7 a pop instead of $14 a pop. No, but seriously, though, like, if this set looks bananas in terms of the reprints that we're getting from here, and it should absolutely drop the price of a lot of cards that are 30 40 bucks that yeah shouldn't and we can be up there yeah we can spend a a little bit more in-depth time talking about ultimate masters later um maybe closer to when the preview season is which is um november 26th and 27th i believe yes but um this set is 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 very polarizing right now and i think the big takeaway here is that wizards is trying something out like they did with mythic edition like they did with mythic edition if it doesn't work then they won't do it anymore. If it does work, then they'll think about doing more of this. Yeah. And it's this is a very contentious topic because magic can be a very expensive hobby. And this is a set that is very expensive. And so people look at it and say, this isn't what I want. And and if you feel that way, then the best way to do it is to vote with your wallet. Don't buy it. Yeah. I mean, and to be fair, if this doesn't look like a thing for you, congratulations you probably aren't the target audience for this yeah like even those the full art the full bleed art to the edge cards those are absolutely like targeted at you know cubist cube people or people who love their eternal format decks just having like the most insane art yeah and these are also going to be available as regular cards. You, they've already, and Wizards has already shown what they look like with the reg, with the frame for Ultimate Masters. So, and uh, there are going to be two Ultimate Masters GPs that are limited. There's going to be GP Vancouver at the end of December, and then GP or Magic Fest Prague at the beginning of January. You know, it's kind of funny because everyone's like, "Why did you take away the Team GP?" It's like, yeah, we have this set coming out. Oh, well. There's a whole other thing to go with removing a Team GP because there were a lot of people who were justifiably upset because they were using that they were going to go to it uh, because they and they were organizing a team, but organizing a team can be difficult for some people. There's 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 both sides to this argument, and I don't know which one feels correct. I do like the I do like having an Ultimate Masters GP, but I mean to be fair, that has been kind of the complaint about. And it was definitely the major complaint of. Modern Masters 2017 is that we literally just did. Why wasn't it? Yeah. Why? Why didn't? Why wasn't Vegas that year? GP that Modern Masters, which it had been the last two times it came out, and those were the most wildly successful GPs they've ever had. And yeah. they just kind of like meh. They half armed, half throw, half armed the uh, the throw on that one. Also, uh, the Ultimate Masters GPs are very expensive for their buy in. Uh, the GP Vancouver entry fee is one hundred and fifty dollars Canadian. Which is about one hundred and fifteen dollars US. Yeah. Oh, and if you're going to PAX un or PAX, yeah, PAX unplugged. unplugged. Wow, I'm going to the dang thing, and I can't get the name right. PAX unplugged is going to have pseudo pre-release events going on because it it releases December seventh, but the week before that is PAX unplugged, and they will be having sealed and draft and two-headed giant events with I yep. believe sealed is eighty bucks, drafts are forty, and Two-headed giant is 120 yeah. off the top of my head. If I remember reading the article correctly that I saw for that, I will probably do one draft, maybe a sealed of this. I don't know yet. Like I'm debating yeah. getting a box because, to be fair, I have a collection of every Masters box that they've released so far. There's eight, no, six of them. This will be seven. So yeah. there's the three modern Masters: 13, 15, and 17. There's Iconic and Eternal Masters and Masters 25. And this will be Ultimate Masters, which will be the seventh, which will be the final one that I need to complete the collection. I might call my LGS because I think I saw them mention something about their pre-orders being 
decently under MSRP. So we'll see. Yeah. And again, I understand that, like, if you feel very strongly about this format, then there are avenues to let Wizards know about how you feel about it. Um, Please make sure that if you do feel that strongly about it, that you are constructive and you are not destructive. Because making, because it's always bad when people add negatives instead of trying to, basically don't be a jerk about your complaints, is my my main thing. Yes. Don't. Don't be don't don't have someone read your comments and be like, oh, he's just being that guy or they're just being that guy or she's being a jerk or whatever it is. Be constructive with your comments. Don't try to, you know, read into things that we like. We don't know what's going on. We don't know the discussions that go on inside Wizards. And, you know, yes, it's very easy to go that this is a cash grab. But again, Wizards is trying to put up products that people might like. And there are there is an audience for this. All right. There is an audience for Ultimate Masters. And if you're not in the audience, that's okay. Sure, it kind of feels crappy. You have, you know, someone from a company say, "I'm I'm making this product, but it's not aimed at you." But hey, look here. Here's my lukewarm take. I haven't really made any hot takes. I was just like stoked to see the cards. Honestly, I'm glad as heck that they're reprinting some of these cards because even after multiple reprints, some of them are still getting expensive. Hi, Cavern of Souls. Looking at you. That I reg- Through the Breach hasn't had a real reprint. Yeah. I love the art like, on it. It's great because someone said, uh, I think Brian David Marshall was asking if it was the first time that tournament play has actually like influenced the lore on a like shown on a reprint of a card because it's Nahiri summoning Emrakul to Innistrad, which is kind of like, so Nahiri's uh, ultimate for Nahiri the Harbinger yeah. was kind of a pseudo Through the Breach-ish yeah. kind of thing. So... It's kind of fun to see that happening, but you bet your butt I'm probably going to buy some Cavern of Souls from this set because dang, I missed it. I missed it, and they doubled in price. But yeah. I, I also am sad about Cavern of Souls being mythic for some reason. And well, it was mythic in the last. I know it was, but it was in too. Yeah, so. It's it's mythic though. Why is Snapcaster mythic? I don't know. Anyways, we we could talk I, in circles. Look, I'm not the I'm not the to. person already. No, but anyway. My lukewarm take is, I don't get some of the rarities, whatever. No big deal. That's just me putting out there. That's my little period end of sentence on that one. But I am stoked beyond belief that cards like Noble Hierarch are getting a reprint, that Cavern Souls is getting yet another reprint. Liliana Vale, she's dropped a little bit. She's getting another reprint. Happy about that. Karn, getting another reprint. The new art on some of these cards, like the new Demonic Tutor, the new Goryeo's Vengeance, gorgeous i am and the new reanimate is insane because gray titan's coming back from the grave yeah also tassiger sassier than ever yep it's just oh and can't talk about leaf dog eternal witness oh, <laughs> eternal witness leaf, doge. leaf yeah, dog that's a good one too. but yeah so it's great this exists well we we can talk more yeah. about it closer to its release and we know more about this cool. anyway i think that's about it pretty much so, uh, preemptively before we get into the social media, follow us on these to find out if, in fact, we are doing an episode next week. I would say at this point, probably leaning towards not because Desert Bus for Hope. Hey, the charity event that raises money for Child's Play Charity is going on starting on Friday. It starts on the 9th. Start, so yeah, it starts on Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific time. It's Pacific Standard, not Pacific Daylight Time. So I think everywhere in the world is on Standard Time now. We've gotten rid of We've looped around for that. So yeah, nine a.m. There are ten a.m. Pacific. Desert bus starts. It's a great charity for kids. If you're interested in magic products, do a lot of uh, donation drive giveaways, live auctions, and silent auctions for Magic the Gathering related prizes. So check that out. You can get some really cool stuff like full foil sheets. Yeah, Desert Bus always brings out the goods. Well, Wizards always just is like, here, take up yeah. here, just take this stuff and throws it at them to make money or to raise money. Yeah. And it's a great time. I will see you guys in chat as a moderator. I am the head moderator, at least the moderator coordinator, I guess you can call it at this point in terms of setting schedules and everything for people for the Desert Bus team. So you guys can find me if you watch Desert Bus for Hope. Say hi in chat to Dix. That's D-I-X. That's also my Twitch uh, channel. Also, you guys can find me on Twitter at DixonIJ. That's D-I-X-O-N-I-J. I will be tweeting about Desert Bus all week. John, where can they find you? 
You guys can find me on Twitter at jvalley129. You can also find me on Twitch at the same handle. Uh, if you have any questions or if you want to reach me on there, just, you know, say hi if you see me in a Twitch chat. You may see me in the DB chat. Uh, I tend to stay away from Twitch chats normally, but Desert Bus is just so, so, so wholesome. It's, it's great. a great chat. Um, it is a great chat. Uh, if you want to reach the podcast directly, you do so in one of two ways. You can hit us up on Twitter at Eyes of the Mize, or you can shoot us an email at eyesofthemize at gmail.com. We would, of course, love to hear how we can best improve the podcast for you, our lovely listeners. We've got more questions, and we're um, going to answer them another week. Yeah. Uh, on behalf of Ian, I'm John. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.